G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as the principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2. A verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We are in the midst of the key event of the entire Gospel of John. This event has to do with the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the culmination, not only of his ministry, but of his passion too. In other words, in a few hours, his passion will be over and he will be dead. But he will not stay dead, thank God. So we're looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's a very privileged view we're getting. Because the author of this gospel was personally present at the cross of Jesus. I don't believe the other disciples were, or shall we say, certainly not the other gospel writers, and probably not the other disciples either. So John's perspective is, shall we say, primary. He's a first-hand witness. And not just of the crucifixion of Jesus, but of the ministry of Jesus. And because of his vantage point, and because of his unique giftings, and because of his long life, we have all been enriched as a result. Because this same John, who's given us a gospel called John, also gave us three epistles and the book of Revelation. He was God's vessel for this. So let us remember, this lesson is called The Crucifixion Continued and Concluded. And the reference is John chapter 19, verses 23 to 30. So let's read a few verses just to get a taste of what this is about. Now there stood by, and it's verse 25, the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. What a remarkable event, only told here in John's Gospel, not in the others, about Jesus on the cross, basically taking care of business, making sure his mother, who probably was a widow at this point, the Bible doesn't say, it's just by implication, but she's on her own, And yes, she actually has children, possibly children who are of of age. But Jesus 
appears to have been the one, as the oldest son, responsible for his mother Mary. But instead of letting his half-brothers take care of Mary, he hands her over to John. This is something that is rather remarkable. And that's why when you go to Ephesus in Turkey, because John was credited to have moved to Ephesus from Jerusalem and been a leader in the church of the Ephesians, that he took Mary with him, at least according to tradition. And Mary supposedly had a house on the top of a high mountain overlooking Ephesus. Very interesting, too. But the fact is, Jesus cared even from the cross. And while the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, doesn't say a whole lot about Mary, the mother of Jesus, what we can say is that somehow she treasured the things that she heard about her son in her heart, and she was a follower of him. And of interest, the very last time she's mentioned in the Bible is in Acts chapter 1. She's waiting with the other Jerusalem disciples for the Holy Spirit to come down. We assume that she was baptized in the Spirit with everyone else in Acts chapter 2, but after that we hear nothing more. What we should be hearing about is not so much what the mother has done, but really what the Son has done for us all. Let's read now the entire portion of John chapter 19, verses 23 to 30. Our lesson is called The Crucifixion Continued and Concluded. And that reference once more is John chapter 19, verses 23 to 30. Let's listen to God's word. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother, and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her, unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. Our reading is from John chapter 19, verses 23 to 30, and our lesson is called, The Crucifixion Continued and Concluded. Well, it's a great narrative, tragic, yet triumphant at the same time. The Crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, which, for believers, is the centerpiece of all history, as well as of our faith, 
our salvation, our hope, and our future. So let's begin now to look at this detailed first-hand commentary, verse by verse. Parting of the Garments. John 19.23 Jesus, having been condemned by Pontius Pilate due to high pressure from the Jewish chief priests, was sent to the place of a skull called Golgotha, and there was crucified among two common criminals. It was a humiliating, prolonged, and painful form of death. A person can hang on a cross for days before they actually die. But in Jesus' case, it was only around six hours. And the last half of the six hours, apparently, there was a blackout, as mentioned in the other Gospels. The soldiers who crucified Jesus took his garment. Apparently, it was valuable, and made four parts of it for the four soldiers, including the seamless coat, or at least they weren't sure what to do with the coat, but because high priests wore seamless coats and garments, or shall we say, like in Exodus 28, verses 31 to 32, that's Exodus 28, thus it was appropriate that our great high priest also had a seamless garment as well. But an interesting note here. In John 19:24, the seamless coat impressed the Roman soldiers to the point that they decided it would be wrong to tear this coat up into four parts. It's too valuable. It's too nice. So why don't we just cast lots, and whoever gets the lot gets to keep this seamless coat. Do you know what? This was a fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 18. Now, of course, this also was a part of the humiliation and suffering that Jesus endured, and he did it for us because we're the ones that were on death row because of sin and transgression and iniquity, and he took the capital punishment on our behalf. Then we've got the most heartwarming, amazing thing of the whole narrative, and that's John the Son. This is John 19, verse 26. As we've already looked at, but we'll look at a little bit more, Jesus, speaking from the cross, looking at his obviously grief-stricken mother, as well as his faithful but heartbroken disciple John. And he simply says, as often the case of Jesus, short, pithy phrases, so much conveyed in so little words. Woman, behold thy son. This was a reference not to Jesus, but to John, who would now become the adopted adult son of Mary. But Mary was not going to treat him as a dependent, but as a benefactor. And then we see that Jesus is honoring the fifth of the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and your father. And so in the same breath, Jesus looks at John and says three words, Behold thy mother. It says from that hour, John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his own home. Though Jesus, as we already mentioned, had biological half-brothers who were not yet really following him, but they would. He preferred, under those circumstances, to commit his mother to the care of a beloved disciple who had believed in him 
and followed him for three years all the way to the cross itself. So yes, Jesus was obeying the commandment to care for his mother. Even in his own time of need, he still cared about the needs of others. He was faithful to the end in all his responsibility. And speaking of the end, it's virtually around the corner. John 19, verse 28. Now that the purposes of God were nearly fulfilled and the redemption of humanity complete, Jesus sought to fulfill the scripture by saying, I thirst. He refused the drugged wine, the one mingled with myrrh, which was offered at the beginning of his crucifixion, like in Mark 15.23. Now, with death near, he asked for a drink, which would be the sour wine, the one that soldiers used while spending long, boring hours on duty. So then we read in the very next verse, in John 29, or shall we say 1929, there was a vessel full of vinegar, and it was with sour wine nearby. They filled a sponge with it, put it on the hyssop, and directed it to his mouth. So all of that was done. And then we get to the very last verse. And that is John 19, verse 30. After Jesus received the sour wine, he explained, or exclaimed, I should say, it is finished. In the Greek, it is said, tell, tell us die. The price for our redemption had been paid in full. There is nothing more God needs to do to have us forgiven and cleansed from our sins and enabled to go to live with him forever and ever. And so it says that Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What basically happened, if I can be technical here, his spirit separated from his body. He bowed up his head, and now he was gone. This is the end, and it's also the beginning. Because the next thing that would happen was would be that Jesus would be buried. Let me jump ahead to that whole issue of the burial of Jesus. You see, first of all, the gospel itself is about three components. Christ died, Christ buried, Christ risen from the dead. You read this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4. Again, Christ died, buried, rose again. Why do we emphasize the burial of Jesus? Well, for one thing, it is a fulfillment of the Bible, of prophecy. Isaiah 53, 9, where it says, And they made or his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So it means that Messiah would be buried in a grave. And indeed, he was. But also, there's something else. In the Gospels itself, Jesus promised that he would be buried. And he would be buried for three days. In Matthew 12, verse 40, he likened himself to the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So why else was Jesus buried? Well, I guess a very, very valid reason 
is to prove that he was truly dead. Because that's an important too thing. There are, you know, conspiracy theorists, even in modern times, saying Jesus really didn't die on the cross. He just swooned. And then he's put in the grave. And then, of course, the coolness of the grave causes him to revive. And then he walks out of the grave, allegedly crucified. Well, when you actually view the text and the eyewitnesses of people who risked and gave their lives on the veracity that Christ had died, first of all, we have to make sure, just like in the case of Lazarus, Jesus waited four days. So everyone knew Lazarus was well and truly dead before he came and raised him up. Jesus was truly dead, and nobody could convince someone like Joseph of Arimathea that the body he put in the tomb was anything but dead. He knew that firsthand. It also is important to remember the, the burial of Jesus because there were spices and preparations that protected his body from decay, which also was a fulfillment of Scripture, Psalm 16, verse 10, which says, You will not allow your Holy One to see decay. Oh, friends, the burial of Jesus is an important part of the gospel. And we're going to learn more of it in our very next lesson. But to conclude this lesson, let's remember that our lesson is called The Crucifixion, Continued and Concluded, and our lesson for life is the story of Jesus' crucifixion and death never ceases to move the heart of the earnest believer because it is what reconciled to God. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.